Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And we're excited to come to you on this Wednesday broadcast as we talk about belief number four, God's Word is Powerful. And I want you to know you can trust the Word of God. And there are times that I get discouraged and there are times that I get defeated. But I want you to know the Word of God endures forever, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God abides forever. So let's talk about the power of the Bible, okay? We are told that all Scripture, that means all, not just parts of it, all 66 books of the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God and it has profit to it. It's good for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, for training in righteousness. In other words, God's Word tells me what I should do, corrects me when I don't do it, gives me new steps of action, and then it keeps me on the right track. And it says that the Word of God is able to do that, and it keeps the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so the Bible helps me to keep on the right track. But you may be asking the question is, why should I trust the Bible? One time I was interviewing an inmate in Angola, and I asked him what he thought about the Bible. And he says, I spend a lot of time reading the Bible. I'm glad it's so big because I'll never get to the bottom of it. And then he said something very profound and very powerful. He says, you know, there are over two billion of us Christians in the world. And everything today that any of us does that is any good has something to do with this book, the Bible. And I have a copy of it right here in my cell. Isn't it so good to know that you have a copy of God's Word right there with you? Now, if you're like me, I have it on my phone. And I read it often on my phone. And and sometimes I'm driving on the road and the traffic will be plucking my last nerve. And what I do is I go on my Bible app and I have the Bible start to be read to me as I'm driving. You know, it really calms my spirit like nothing else can do. Well, the Word of God is powerful, and we're going to talk about the power of God's Word. And Hebrews 4.12 says, you know what? The Word of God is alive. It's not dead. It's alive. And not only is it alive, I mean, I know some people are alive, but they're not, they're not very active. Uh, so the Bible is alive, and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirits and the joints and the marrow. And I love this next little phrase. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And now, I I know some people think, well, I know what you're thinking. I know your attitude. You know, the bottom line is, you don't know the motivation of other people. Sometimes we think we do. And uh, and we're probably wrong as many times as we are right when it comes to uh, judging others' motives. But the Bible judges our thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Listen, if you'd like to memorize God's Word, would you memorize Hebrews 4.12? The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Well, you say, okay, well, that's, that's good to know all that stuff. But is the Bible really reliable? Can I trust the Bible? Well, I want to give you four timeless gifts that we receive from the Bible. Let me give them a quick overview, okay? And then we'll go one by one. Uh, Number one would be the reliability of the Bible, the finality of the Bible, the authority of the Bible, and then we'll talk about the satisfaction of the Bible. So you can rely on the Bible, 
It is the complete authority and the finality of God's word. You can trust the authority of God's word. And I promise you, if you get into God's word, you will be satisfied. Okay, well, let's look at the first point. Is the Bible really reliable? Well, the Bible is a gift that was sent to us from God. God is the author. And Paul tells us that the word of God didn't originate with you. He's talking to the Corinthian believers. And what was happening? Okay, they they were getting to the point in their lives where they thought they knew more than Paul and the other apostles, and, and they thought they were like this authority on what God was doing. And so Paul says, now, listen, and he does a rhetorical question, did the Word of God originate with you? Well, of course not. Or are you the only people that the Word of God has reached? Well, of course not. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. And Paul's saying, I'm not giving you my words. I am giving you the Word of God. The Word of God is reliable. It gives us instructions on matters of worship. And we discover from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that the leaders of the church were beginning to lead the church in their own renegade way. They were twisting what the scriptures were saying in regards to the role of women, the role of, of speaking in tongues, and, and even the authority of scripture. They were bringing themselves above the authority of God's word. And by the way, there are still churches today who put a higher authority on a man or on a denomination than they do the word of God. Paul is being somewhat sarcastic when he asks the question, did the word of God originate with you? The Corinthians were acting as if they, not the word of God, was the final authority. So Paul is firmly reminding them that the word of God did not originate with them as a person. It began with a certain person, that is God himself. You know, this wonderful gift of God's word is made available to all people. Although Paul exhorts the Corinthian believers for their misuse of the Bible, he thanks the Thessalonian believers for the love and the application they have of God's Word. Look at these words of endearment as Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, you know, we thank God continually for you. Why? Because you received the Word of God, which you heard from us. And not only did you receive the Word of God, but you accepted it not as a mere word from humans, but as it actually is, the very word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You see, the gift of the word must be received, and the Bible is not of private interpretation. The Corinthian church is inching toward apostasy. You see, apostasy denies the authority, the authority of God's word and the authority of the person of Christ. You see, apostasy would tend to shy away from everything, anything that is firmly believed, other than the right to believe what you wish. Now, that doesn't sound like our culture. What is right is right for you. Every man has their own understanding of what's right and what's wrong. And, and the only wrong thing in our culture today is to make a judgment as to what is right or what is wrong. You see, well, they were filled with this cult of seeing themselves as one of the few. Uh, one of the few people, right? The apostate sees himself, however, as one of the many, right? Part of the majority. Both cult and apostasy lead people to a Christless eternity. And knowing this, Paul says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from somebody's own interpretation. Now, even if you gain a following that agrees with your twisted interpretation, it's still man-centered. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but God spoke. Not a person, God himself spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is a reminder that Peter gives to us of the power of God's word. So we've learned so far today that the Bible is this wonderful gift that is sent from God, and it is reliable. Well, here's the second thing. The Bible also speaks to me. We could call this the final authority, the finality of God's word. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. In other words, tally up the word of God, and it equals truth. It's the complete truth. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be taken away from. Jesus declared this very clearly when he says, Sanctify them in thy truth. Your word is truth. You see, the Bible is not just a container for truth. It is the very essence of truth. Every word of God is flawless. Proverbs 35 and 6 says, And he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So don't add to his words or you will be rebuked and you will be proven as a liar. You see, I think today we still have kind of an unknown enemy of the church, and I call it Gnosticism, and I'm, uh, that's not a word that is unique to me, and uh, the early church fought Gnosticism. As a matter of fact, there is actually a, a Gnostic Bible, and they change what the Word of God says, and the Gnostic Bible, here's a quote out of the Gnostic Bible, right? It came to pass when Jesus has risen from the dead that he passed 11 years discoursing with his disciples and, dis- and instructing them. And that is an addition, and that's not found in Scripture. Now, I don't know if you realize that word Gnostic is that word meaning truth. Erwin Lutzer, who's a pastor of, or was a former pastor uh, in Chicago at the Moody Bible Church, said that Gnosticism is a gospel of wisdom rather than a gospel of the cross and proclaims that Jesus saves us not by dying but by disclosing the light of knowledge. Now, this Bible, this Gnostic Bible, is a revelation that was given and is based on the knowledge of humanity or the knowledge or the light of knowledge of humanity. And when we look at this, we are struggling with this in our culture today. The word Gnostic comes from the Greek word, which means knowledge. More precisely, the word is used to refer to a hidden knowledge available only to the enlightened. So the Gnostics believed that they were privately able to have a spiritual experience that gave them an inside track on religious interpretations of the world. Uh, Their version of Christianity was among those that were pro-feminine. They were male and female being blended together. Some of the writings speak of sexual rituals, and others make references to new teachings about Jesus and the disciples. Understandably, this Gnostic Bible is being used in feminist literature today to promote a feminist agenda and supposedly to tell the real story of early Christianity. Now listen to what Time Magazine said about this Gnostic Bible. Dozens of Christian scriptures were holy writ, then heresy, then forgotten. Why are we looking at them again? These gospels fill a perceived need for an alternative view of Christ. And on the major part of New Age seekers and the mainline believers, they're finding a new way to be a Christian. 
Now, since these Gospels are so frequently uh, appealing to the culture today, they're having their own particular interpretation. And so Time Magazine even had to ask that question, why do we need to look at the Scriptures again when that was decided way back in A.D. 300? Now, as we think about this, we could go on and on about the fallacy of Gnosticism, but Time Magazine is right when it says the recovered text feed Americans' ever-sharpening appetite for mystical spirituality. People are seeking a relationship with God that is not tied to doctrine. The Gnostics will allow you to find God in your own way. Well, I want you to know the Bible is the only way to know Christ. It speaks truth. It is the finality of truth. In Matthew 24, we learn that Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we've learned so far that the Bible was sent to us from God. The Bible is the truth of God, is the final truth of God. And number three, the Bible will stir me to action because it has authority. It has power. In Acts chapter 17, we learn that the Berean Jews, they were more noble than the Christians of those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? Because they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many believed, and a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men also believed. In verse 13 says, But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went up there too, agitating the crowd and stirring them up. So here we see an interesting thing happening in Acts chapter 17. We learned that the Berean believers were more noble. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want to be less noble. I want to be known as more noble. How does that happen? You search the scriptures. They received the message with eagerness. They received the word with eagerness. And then they examined the scripture to make sure that what Paul was saying was true. And when we think about being more noble, that is an interesting phrase. You think about somebody who is well-born of a, of a noble race, right? Uh, some that is uh, born with into nobility. And now Paul says, you know, <laughs> I wasn't born into nobility. And in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six, he says, I want you to know that God doesn't call many who are of noble race or noble birth. Uh, he says, I was not of noble birth. And God doesn't usually call people of noble birth. And as you think about this, uh, God doesn't call many people who are, who are born in nobility, but we become noble. I don't have to have a powerful, noble birth. I have something even better. I have searched the Word of God, and I become more noble because of my character being changed as it's forged by the Word of God. Now, there's something else that, with that word noble, more noble, and, and we think about noble-minded, and that's where the Greek philosophers were, and, and they were noble-minded. But when we think about those who live a noble-minded life, there's no other way to do it except by being into God's Word. Well, there's something else that we learn about the power of God's Word. And we learn that the power of God's Word is it satisfies my deepest need. It's a complete revelation of God's Word. In Psalms 119, verse 101 to 103, it says, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah was experiencing a very difficult time. And he knows his people are very far from God. They are living in open rebellion. So on one hand, he wants God's judgment to fall on them. He knows they're going to be going into exile. But he's conflicted. And then Jeremiah says, you know, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. You see, the word of God can satisfy us. You know, John went to the mighty angel and, and he asked for the scroll in and, and the book of Revelation. Promptly, the angel gives him the scroll and commands him to eat it and, and told John that it, it would make his stomach bitter, but it would taste as sweet as honey. It's not a controversial to note to see this highly figurative language. John's actions and reactions here are meant to symbolize the important spiritual ideas that as we're eating God's word, not literally eating a piece of paper, it becomes sweet. And if we don't obey it, it becomes bitterness in our stomach. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel received the command to deliver God's message to a rebellious people, a rebellious Israel. And upon receiving this command, Ezekiel saw a hand outstretched to him and a scroll was given to him. And it says, eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. And the Lord says, when he ate the scroll, Ezekiel found that it tasted sweet as honey, but later he experienced its bitterness. Ezekiel 3.14. You see, God's word contains both a sweet message and a bitter message. The prophet Jeremiah testified, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. You see, the message of reconciliation and forgiveness is sweet, but the message of condemnation is bitterness. You see, the gospel is sweet to those who embrace it, but to those who reject it, it is bitter. John's eating to the scroll then carries the symbol of what happened with Ezekiel. John is taking on the message of God in order to carry it to others. This is a sweet experience at first, but the aftermath brings pain and heartache. Communication with God, especially in such an overt way, would certainly be uplifting. Knowing that the message is one of judgment and destruction, that can be gut-wrenching. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He also said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Isaiah says, the grass may wither and the flowers may fall, but the word of God endures forever. You know, I think about the miracles that I see every day. Bees actually demonstrate the miracle of creation. You know that 16-ounce honey bear that you have in your pantry? It only exists because tens of thousands of bees flew 112,000 miles in a relentless pursuit. They were in a pursuit for nectar, and they gathered 4.5 million flowers together, getting together all of this nectar. Every one of those forging bees was female. By the time each life's ended, they may have lived as short as six weeks. Six weeks during a honey-making season, each bee would fly about 500 miles in 20 days, the span of about half their lives. They would gather this nectar, and all these bees were basically flying themselves to death. You see, the production inside the hive would continue with such efficiency. In the following sequence, we see what happens. 
The bee goes out and gathers the nectar and brings the nectar to the hive, carrying it tidily in their honey stomach. The bee is greeted and cheerfully suspected by that younger bee would receive the female bee and receive all of her load. The receiver bee deposits the nectar into a cell and and it proceeds to reduce its water content and raise its sugar level by fanning with their wings and, and then regurgitating it 200 times. By doing so, they would kill microbes and, and along the way, and, and then more bees would surround the cell, and others nearby would fan them with their wings 25,000 times or so, thus turning the nectar into honey. When the honey is ripened, when the wax specialists arrive to cap off the cells, we see this honey being brought together. And that is how every single ounce of every single honey pot, bottle, or jar in the world hundreds of thousands of times, is brought into being. Every gulp of raw honey is a distinct, unique, unadulterated medley of plant flavor, a sweet, condensed garden in your mouths, writes Holly Bishop. What do you think about God putting all this together so that we can enjoy some honey? Imagine what he would do with his word if we accept it. So here's my challenge to you. Accept the word of God. Follow through and believe the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. It can bring comfort to you, or it can bring condemnation to you. You see, the choice is really yours. You know, many years ago, I was really battling the integrity of Scripture. And I was just a young man, and and I I was very fortunate that I was raised uh, by parents who loved the Lord, and I was raised in the church, and but when I turned, I guess, about 14, 15 years old, I started having this, what I would call kind of a crisis of belief. And I said, I'm not sure that I believe this. And I looked around, and it seemed like all my friends were having a whole lot more fun than I was having. And I says, you know, they don't go to church on Sunday, and, and uh, their parents don't uh, make them read the Bible or memorize the Bible, and, and uh, they don't go to youth events, and uh, they're not involved at all in the church. And it says, and it says, and I thought, well, it seems like they're having more fun than I'm having. And I got thinking about my life as a whole. And I says, you know, the one thing that makes Christianity distinct is we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And I said, I'm not sure that I can believe that. And so I began just praying, and I began looking into God's Word, and I began saying, Lord, would you reveal God's Word to me? Because I don't want to devote myself to be a follower of Christ if the Bible is not true. If the Bible is not relevant, if it's just this old, archaic piece of literature, I don't really care about learning too much about it. But you know, God revealed to me that the Word of God is true and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. I remember I was out at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was just crying out to the Lord because I was so confused. I was lost. I, I, I was just kind of wandering, and I was trying to find myself and trying to figure out what God wanted for my life. And I, and I said, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? And would you reveal that your word is true? And, you know, I didn't have this, like, bolt of lightning or or anything come up against me, but I was just convinced in my heart that the word of God was true. And so I went to Bible college. I started studying God's word. And I said, I'm not going to study this book as a textbook. I am going to take this book as a love letter that is written to me, and I'm going to apply it to my life. And as I think about the wonders of God's word, I think about how God has laid out this wonderful piece of it's literature, but it's, it's the breathed Word of God. And, and I think about in Genesis, and it talks about how all things come to a, a beginning, right? And if you are struggling to know where to begin, 
uh, studying God's word in the beginning, realized that God created the heavens and the earth. And I came to the realization that everything that God has created was for our, uh, our benefit, for his glory. And I got thinking about God's creation and the beauty of God's creation. And then I looked at the book of Exodus and I saw that God provided for the nation of Israel and, and God gets them out of a tight spot after they've been in bondage for 400 years. And I go through scripture after scripture after scripture, how God always came through. He was an ever-present source of help in times of trouble. And then I found myself in trouble one day where I was in a terrible car accident. And I said, now, Lord, here I am with a broken back and a collapsed lung and knocked out my front teeth. I said, Lord, if you will heal me and allow me to get back up on my feet, I will serve you for the rest of my life. You know, God did that. He raised me up out of that hospital bed after spending 14 days in an intensive care unit. And God has blessed me tremendously. Now, he'll do the same for you. Uh, he won't speak to you the same way that he spoke to me. But the word of God does have a message for you today. Would you believe it today? Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That is the beginning point. Many people doubt the Bible because they don't know the God of the Bible. If you will call upon him, he will save you. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. If I can help you, please call me. 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Thank you so much. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.